Amuniambia if you can hear me. Oops. Okay, can I switch on this one? Which one? This one. Yeah, but as I talk, say, yeah. No, like, so that I can see. It's better when you hear it on, on audio. Uh, just give me a minute. I'm going to switch networks to a more stable network. Let me know if you all can hear me. I think you can. Mkosalama. Hope you guys are well. I'm just setting up <coughs> a different network. The days when you cough, you just think, that's Corona. Is that Corona? So just hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. You just hold on. Has the network been sumbuang? Huh? But in a sumbuanga time, unenda live. Really? Okay, now let me know if you can see me, hear me. Hey, see someone confirm whether they can hear me. Not after. Check, check, mic check. Let me know if you all can hear me. Holla if you can hear me. You know how to holla, don't you? Hope you do. If you guys can hear me. Aki. No one, no one is giving me feedback. Where do I look combo? Ah, good. I've got one confirmation. Confirmation is good. So let's let's start this thing. We we are going through the journey of multiplied grace. And um I'm going to talk about the brotherhood. I'm going to talk about um so we started with fatherhood and I talked about the role of a father. Our father is supposed to father a son, F-U-R-T-H-E-R. But now I'm going to talk about the brotherhood. I'm going to talk about the responsibility the responsibilities we have that <laughs> we had the dry cough can mugane god forgive you the responsibility we have uh towards the kingdom of god now this is uh, something that i'm going to use to clean house uh by cleaning house i mean i'm going to speak to some of the people that i know people who are listening to me so if it touches you and you think i'm talking about you guess what i am talking about you very seriously and you should take it very personally because there are things we need to solve because it it is it can't be it can and it cannot continue to be that the people you can trust the least are christians you know if if a muslim tells you they'll send you money you relax and when a christian tells you they'll send you money you panic it, it can't be now last week we talked about excellence and we talked about how we need to take excellence and by being excellent then you're able 
to multiply in grace. And this came from the book of Peter. And Peter is talking about may grace multiply to you. And he talks about you need to abound in knowledge, in charity and things like that. And where we left it last week, we left it at the place where I said we will talk about brotherly love, you know, Christian love um, that's there in, in, in that verse. So I want to go straight into it because I want to address some serious issues within the body of Christ, within how we behave, which is completely wrong and we need to correct. Now, what do I mean? Why do we need to multiply grace? And I want to start here. Paul starts a story and he says how uh, he had a pain. Um, he had a pain and that pain, uh, whatever it was, whether it was an ailment, a, a sickness, a, a sin, we do not know. But God's answer is my grace is sufficient for you. Now, it's interesting how when you think uh, at your forgiven look on the cross, <laughs> the thief was my apprentice. I like your faith. So how it works is this way. All right. So typically when you think about solving a problem, you, 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 you start by saying uh, God's grace is sufficient. I got healed. But that's not the case. When, when, when Paul speaks to God, God's answer is very interesting. He says that it is not healing that you need. I'm not going to heal you. But instead, I want you to understand that my grace is sufficient, meaning that in weakness, then is God's strength made perfect. Uh, and, and you see, that's a contradictory thing because how we consider these things is we usually think that that um that when god uh that when god is speaking to us about our healing right we think that it's it's when he says i'm sending grace it's supposed to solve your physical problem and and that's where we get quite lost and uh, i'm just quoting quoting second corinthians 12 verse 9 when it says but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness now understand this a lot of the time your understanding of how you want god to work is for god to make you strong so if i am coughing <coughs> and then god tells me my his grace is sufficient then my expectation is his grace will come and heal me. But that's not how grace works. Uh, grace is like currency. And I want you to understand why I keep comparing grace to currency. I keep comparing grace to currency because when you look at money, all right, and let's take a basic thing. You got money and you want to go to Mombasa, all right? Now, you can walk to Mombasa and stop at every place you want to eat and sleep. And that's a way of transportation. You can cycle to Mombasa because you can buy a bicycle and stop on the way the way you want. You can ride a bike to Mombasa and, and there are various bikes. You can have a super bike and do the whatever it is and get to Mombasa. You can get into a Matatu and get into Mombasa. You can buy a car and get to Mombasa. You can hire a plane. You can what buy a plane ticket and fly to Mombasa. You can charter a plane and fly to Mombasa and you can buy a plane and fly to Mombasa. Basically what I'm saying is grace does not come to solve problems the way you think, okay? 
grace is like currency. It can be used to solve problems different ways. So when God says his grace is sufficient, and for example, you're facing a challenge with your landlord, he's not saying your landlord will not necessarily kick you out. The landlord may kick you out, but God's grace gives you a neighbor who will accommodate you. God's grace gives you another place to stay, or God's grace allows you to find all manner of solutions, right? Uh, in fact, you could get kicked out and God's grace gives you the money to move into another house the same day. All I'm saying is grace does not come to solve problems the way you think. Now, what we need, just the same way in this world, when, when, when you're trying to come up in life, the skill that you need to learn most is the skill to multiply money. So you had a thousand bob and you invested it or you did whatever it is that you did and you're able to multiply your money. So you must be able to do the same thing with the resource called grace. You must be able to harness grace, take it and multiply it. Now, last week, the part we talked about multiplying grace, I would summarize it into excellence, keeping time, being a man of your word, you know, increasing in knowledge and in understanding because you can't be full of grace and be stupid at the same time. It cannot work. They do not mix. Okay. So having said that, you need to understand that the goal of the Christian, and, and please understand me, and, and I want to read something for you from the book of Acts 20:24. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the rest, to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying of the, to the good news of God's grace. All right? <laughs> okay? So you need to understand that grace is something you must pursue. Okay? And, and last week he said you must come into the full understanding of the grace that you receive. So just the same way, if you don't understand how to manage money, you will be poor. If you don't know how to manage grace, you will be triply poor. And that's what happens in the kingdom of God. Some of you pray so hard, but you can't arrive at work uh, on time. You can't increase in knowledge. You can't increase in character. Your character is questionable, you are undependable. It does not matter how much you pray, the grace in your life cannot multiply and therefore you will find yourself at the same station in life for a long time, not because you can't make more money only, but because you cannot also multiply grace. And in other words, okay? Now, at the end of that scripture in, in Peter, all right, and, and I just want to go through it one more time because I, I feel like someone is looking at me and, and wondering what am I talking about. Let me just go through it very, very quickly. Second um, uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, and grace and peace and special that uh, uh, be multiplied to you in the true knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So grace is multiplied by knowledge. Then he talks about his divine power has given on us everything we need for life and godly living uh, through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So through knowledge, through knowledge, through knowledge, not, not through prayer, not through, I believe, not through fasting, not through casting out demons, but it's through knowledge, knowledge. This is the most important thing in the kingdom, right? And then he continues, for this very reason, I'm skipping some things because I need you to catch up quickly. For this very reason, applying to your diligence. So you must be diligent. 
right? You must be diligent. A lot of us are not, and I'm going to address that, that now. You must add to your diligence, right in exercising your faith to develop moral excellence and into moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in self-control steadfastness and your steadfastness godliness and in your godliness brotherly affection and your brotherly affection develop christian love and then he continues to see if this <coughs> if these virtues continue and verse 8 if, if this if these qualities are yours and are increasing so you cannot say, I have gotten the knowledge of God and you're not increasing in knowledge and expect that God is happy with you. Remember, Jesus said, out of you shall flow rivers of living water. In other words, if you become a stagnant pool, you is lost. So your knowledge of God cannot stay the same. Your diligence cannot stay the same. You need to constantly improve. So if you're not constantly improving, you're illegal. Let me put it to you like this. Paul said that I consider everything I have achieved to this point to be cow dung, rubbish. So let me put it to you in perspective. Everything in your life that you've achieved to this point in relation to the cross, you must consider it rubbish and press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of you. So that is the posture of someone who multiplies grace. So if I was to put it in a practical sense, let me just put it practically. All right. If you are a mechanic and you only know how to fix uh, Toyotas, okay. If you want to understand multiplying grace, then you must also learn the discipline and the education to be able to add to your entourage of things you fix, you need to be able to also add a Honda, a Mercedes. So the more you increase in knowledge and the better you are at doing it, then obviously the more money, the more customers you get. So just the same way you grow in currency is the same way you grow in grace. But there's something missing in the church today, and this is called brotherly love. Okay, now please hear me correctly, and I hope uh, you guys are listening because this is something that you need to take seriously. Now, what I say is missing, and you need to understand, is when I talk about brotherly love, shh, can hear. Uh, when I talk about brotherly love, I do not mean fellowships. Now, let me be clear. A lot of you take time and attend meetings, but you have no love one for another. So I'm not talking about attending meetings. Okay? I'm not talking about the way you wish each other happy birthday. Okay? I am talking about brotherly love that comes with the responsibility of loving your brother. Okay? Now, Jesus put it like this in the book of John. He said, greater love knows no man than this, than one to lay down his life for a friend. Okay? Now, what happens? On the flip side, God calls his disciples his friends, his brothers. So what does he expect? He expects that you will lay down your life for your friend. Now, I want to explain to you a mystery of the kingdom. I want to go with you. Agnes, 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 surely, 
okay sorry about that so listen second corinthians chapter 4 for we who live are constantly second corinthians chapter 4 verse 11 okay I want you to see a mystery of the kingdom and how the kingdom is supposed to function. Don't miss this. It says this. For we who live are constantly experiencing the threat of death, of being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also might be evidenced in our mortal body, which is subject to death. Now, this is not news if you followed me, but this is not what I want to focus on. So physical death is actively at work in us, but spiritual life is actively at work in you. <laughs> now, that's where the mystery is. And I want you to note that. It says, physical death is at work in us, but spiritual life is actively at work in you. This is a principle. Now, what is the principle? All right. He says, in him, in his physical body, he is experiencing death. At the same time as he is experiencing death, someone else, the Corinthians, who listen to him, who have been taught by him, they have spiritual life being active in them. So what's the connection? So the death of Paul is the life of the Corinthians. Let me see. Is this thing still live? I don't know, but I'll finish what I'm supposed to do. All right? Listen. Then he continues to say, Yet we have the same spirit of faith, as he said, who wrote, he who wrote in scripture. I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us along with you in his presence. For all these things, for all these things are for your sake. So that as God's remarkable and deserved grace reaches to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of our great God. Therefore, we do not become discouraged, spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. Though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. For a momentary and light distress, this passing trouble is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, so surpassing all comparisons. Okay? Now, this is a strange scripture. Right? Now, Paul is speaking, to put it in context, there was a big fight in Corinth about, about uh, Paul being arrested. And what was happening with Paul's arrest was very simple. Okay? The people were saying, if Paul is so great, why does he keep getting arrested? Okay? <laughs> Why does he keep getting arrested? Why is he always in trouble? Okay? Now, Paul had an understanding of suffering that a lot of us don't have. Paul understood that his suffering would produce life in those who listen to him. Okay. 
Now, this may seem strange, but I want you to understand something. And I want you to go to the book of John chapter 10. And I want to show you something. I want to show you the role of a shepherd. I think it's John 10. I'm pretty sure it is. All right, it is. Now, uh, listen to me carefully because it's going to bite a little bit, okay? I assure you, and solemnly I tell you, I say to you, he who does, John 10 verse 1, there are a number of scriptures I'll read, but I want you to follow carefully. It says, uh, I assure you and solemnly I tell you, he who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up from some other place on the stone wall, that one is a thief and a robber, okay? But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, the protector and the provider, he who enters by the door. The doorkeeper opens the gate for this man, and the sheep hear his voice and pay attention to it. And knowing that, that they listen, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out to pasture. Now I want you to understand something. Number one, there's a thief who comes through, who comes through the wall. Then there is a shepherd who comes through the door. There is a door. And there is a doorkeeper who opens for the shepherd. And then there are sheep. All right? When he has brought all his own sheep outside, he walks on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice and recognize his call. They will never follow a stranger, but so there's another character called Stranger. Uh, Simon Mambo. Uh, there's another character called Stranger, but will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was talking about. So Jesus said again, I assure you and Muslimly I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. So who is the shepherd? Let's continue. <laughs> all who, come, who came before me, all right? All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will go in and out freely and find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, this thief, please understand, is not the devil. I know that's what you've been taught, but the thief is the false teacher the false teacher. If you want to know, go to your dictionary, look at the name thief, Bible dictionary, not English Oxford dictionary. Yeah? You will notice it's a false teacher. But also, if you want to understand it in context, read John chapter 9. Now, listen. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy, And I, but I came that they may have life and have that life in, a, in abundance. I am the, capital G, good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay? But the hired man who merely serves for wages, because there's another character, the guy who works for money, who is neither the shepherd nor the owner of the sheep. So there's a shepherd, small s. So there's a good shepherd, capital G, capital S. And then there's a shepherd, small s. Okay? And there is the owner of the sheep. So you need to understand. 
when he sees the wolf coming, desults the flock and runs away. And the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. The, the man runs because he is a hired hand who serves only for wages and is not concerned about the safety of the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know without any doubt those who are my own and my own know me and have a deep personal relationship with me. Now understand something. There's a difference between a hired shepherd and a true shepherd, small s. So I'm not talking about the good shepherd. Him, he will never leave you nor forsake you. But there's the one who works for hire. <laughs> which means he works for himself. Let's understand. And this is where the church is in trouble. Many of you listening to me are hired shepherds. You work for yourself. Or let me explain to you what I mean by work for yourself. Whenever taking care of other people puts you in danger, you run away. That's how I know you are a hired servant. That's how I know. That you are unwilling to endanger yourself for the sake of your brother. Uh, yes, you have the spirit of Cain. Let me explain. Cain asked the same question. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's shepherd? So what is responsibility number one? The responsibility among the brethren is for them to suffer in this body so that others might live. So get me correctly. If you earn money and the money you earn is all yours, you are a hired servant. If taking care of other people, you run away every time it begins to cost you money, every time it hurts you, you are a hired servant who runs away when the wolf comes. Let me explain. The true shepherd, when he sees the wolf coming, goes to face the wolf. How do I know this? How do I know this? David, David was a shepherd. And let me tell you why God chose him to be king. Because as a shepherd, he knew that if the bear attacks the sheep, the bear has attacked him. He goes after the bear. He knew that if the lion attacks even the smallest of his lamb, he goes after the lion. You, you know very well, there are people God has put for you to take care of. But what do you do? Every time there is trouble, don't you run away? Don't you say this is too much and you walk away? That's how I know you are a hired servant and you are the one the Bible speaks of when it says the last days, the love of many shall grow cold. It does not mean people will not have the emotion of love. It is that they will not have the loyalty of love. So the first principle of being a brother and having showing brotherly affection, Jesus said it, is to lay down your life for a friend. Let me put it to you in perspective. Stop singing the song, I'll catch a grenade for you. That is not what it's about. What it simply means, what Jesus was saying, is I'll be inconvenienced because of you. I will lose sleep because of you. I will lose money because of you. 
I will lose TVs, cars, things because of you. That is brotherly love. This selfishness, this self-preservation is wrong. And let me tell you what happens. And I hope you guys are listening to me. This is what many, many, many of you do. What you guys do is you trust God and you learn something and you go and you study something. Hey, David, Kitenge, Mambo, bro. You learn something. And then your life begins to get a breakthrough and then you begin to earn some mula. And then you become excellent at earning that money. And then you forget your brothers. That, my dear friends, is problem number one in the body of Christ. That instead of shepherds, and here shepherds, my brothers and sisters, please understand, I taught you guys at the beginning of this thing, all of us are fathers and sons. It means you have those you are in charge of and those who are in charge of you. So don't say, oh, but I'm not a pastor. It applies to pastors who are shepherds, but it applies to you too. So if you are not dying, you are not multiplying grace. Jesus put it like this. He said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. It does not multiply. It does not multiply. I want you to understand something that Elisha taught us. Elisha has a servant. And this servant goes and borrows an axe. And the servant, for whatever reason, the axe falls into the water. And he says, my Lord, my Lord, this was a borrowed axe. And Elisha takes it upon himself to make the axe head float. Did he borrow the axe? No. Okay. Same Elisha. Many months later, one of his servants has died. His wife comes to Elisha and says, listen, your, 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 your disciple, your sheep, when he was still alive, borrowed money. And the money he borrowed, now behold, the lenders are at my door. They will take me into slavery and they will take my children into slavery. Elisha says, that's my problem. I'll tell you how to solve it. Jesus is with Peter. Peter goes to the temple. And in the temple, he's asked, eh? where is the money? Where does he go? He goes to Jesus. And Jesus says, your problem, my problem. So what does he do? He takes and he says, Peter, go, take a fish. In it, you'll find money for you and me. 
my question, how many times do you fund money for you and someone else who you're not married to and is not your child? In fact, some of you, even the responsibilities of your children, you ignore. Let me read for you something in Corinthians 8. Hope you are, we are on the same page. Eh? Right? I hope we are on the same page. Are we on the same page, Bones? Bones, are we on the same page? Yes, sir. <laughs> now we are in I'll tell you just now it's in um, first Corinthians eight verse seven. Actually second Corinthians eight verse seven. It says this but as you excel in everything. Now, hear me correctly. Many of you have had the privilege of excelling. Let me put to you in perspective what I mean by excelling. That you're able to earn some coins in, in any way. In everything. In faith, in speech, and in knowledge. So he's picking up from where Peter left it. In all earnestness, and in our love to you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now listen, listen to me carefully. Because this is why many of you are struggling beyond to move beyond where you were last year. So you can ask me, I'm speaking to someone, but it's okay. You're struggling because God brought you to a place where you're, you can now earn something, okay? And you become kind of good at where you are in life. But what you fail to do is you failed to excel in the act of grace. Oh yes, there's an act of grace. Now let me put it to you in perspective. Let us go and read the context within which in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, then we'll go to chapter 9, and I'll show you where you are failing. Okay? Where you are failing. And I will take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and rebuke you a little bit. Alright? Now, brothers and sisters, I'm starting from verse 1. We want to tell you about the grace of God. Okay? The grace of God. Which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, awakening them along to contribute. For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. So he's talking about generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily. Now, this is the problem we have in our community. That because you've been set free from tithe, you no longer even voluntarily give. Now listen, 
talking about the church in Macedonia, how in their poverty they gave voluntarily, begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the saints. Okay? Now, what does it say in Jerusalem? Not only did they give materially as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us as his representatives by the will of God, right? Disregarding their personal interest and giving as, they mu as much as they possibly could. So we urged Titus that as he began, he should also complete the gracious work among you as well. Are you workers of grace? Or you only know the grace that comes from above. Now understand, grace only multiplies this way. And Jesus gave us the example. He took the bread, gave thanks. And he broke the bread and he gave the disciples. For as long as the disciples equally took the bread, which is significant of grace, and broke it and gave it to the captains of hundreds, and the captains of hundreds took it and broke it, there was abundance beyond what started. That's how multiplication works. Now, if you have grace, which is provision God has given you, and you're not actively participating in the act of grace, the act of giving, generosity, then hear me correctly, you are a hired servant, a thief. Let me continue. Hmm. Ah, you won't like me today. All right? And therefore it says, so you must complete that gracious work among you as well. But just as you excel in everything and live in the way of faith, in speech, knowledge, in genuine concern, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this gracious work also of giving also. Now, my question my question, are you excellent at giving? Are you excellent at giving? Or are you selfish? <laughs> the problem with why Christians steal from one another is not that they do not know the law or that they are lawless. It is that they are selfish. Someone who's generous cannot, who's not generous cannot be trusted with anything. They are thieves. Hey. Verse 8, and I reiterate these words. I'm not saying this as a command to, to dictate to you, but to prove by pointing out the enthusiasm of others, the sincerity of your love as well. For you are recognizing more clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you recognize grace, you become generous. Hear me correctly. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the secret of grace. You must willingly give of your wealth so that someone else can become rich. Like Paul said, you die so that someone else can live. This is the principle by which Christians should live, and that's how you don't live. You, when you get a salary, the first thing you do 
is wonder my tv my bed my nice thing you do not think what is my responsibility to the body <laughs> okay so if jesus was sent and the way he was sent is to take his riches become poor for your sake how do you think he was sent now hold on I know you're wondering, oh, but how come you are not poor, Mark? Let me tell you, because I've learned a principle. <laughs> the more you give, the more you are rich. This is the funniest thing. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> I'll show you. It's uh, that, that thing is in the next chapter. I'll show you. <laughs> now, listen carefully. I give you my opinion in this matter. I'm in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 10. I give you my opinion in this matter. This is to your advantage. Who are the first to begin a year ago, not only to take action to help the believers in Jerusalem, but also the first to decide to do it. So these people had given before, but somehow they had run out. Now it says, so now finish this. So that your eagerness in desiring it may be equal by your completion of it according to your ability. Now, listen to me carefully. There's a class of people, and some of you are in my inbox daily. It says, it's a, you say this, oh, I want to support masterclass. Okay? So you pledge. And I've told you over and over again, stop pledging. Because let me tell you something. God will not hold you innocent when you start a work you don't finish. The same way Jesus was sent, so are you sent. So hear me correctly. Hear me correctly. God sent me and he told me, I have given you an abundance of knowledge. Now you make sure every Wednesday and every Sunday evening you give. And that's why I don't charge you. <laughs> that's why there's no pay bill down there. Because I'm supposed to give. But grace is an economy of giving. Let me explain. That everyone should be giving, everyone should be receiving. We should be competing to give. Let me continue. Let me continue. I told you it's a woman today. All right? <laughs> now, verse 12. For if the eagerness to give is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So you must be willing and eager to give. So listen carefully. What does it say? For it is not intended that others be relieved of their responsibility and you be burdened unfairly, but that but there be equality in sharing the burden. Oh. Now let me tell you where Mashetan is Lingia Kanisa. Listen, when you look at the book of Acts, chapter 3, 4, and 5, and it says none lacked what does it mean 
what it means is this, and it pre-qualifies. It says, they gave according to how everyone had needs. Okay? So there was a need and they gave. Now, understand me correctly. All right? The next verse says, none lacked. The reason why none lacked is because someone else died for someone else to live. Hello? That's how the kingdom is. Now, the problem with how you've been selfishly taught to give is that you give to the pastor. And if the pastor does not remind you every Sunday and every week, even then you don't give. Thieves. Thieves. <laughs> hey, boss, boss. Let us continue. Right? Listen carefully. So the burdens of the church must be shared equally. It means the things that need to be paid for in church needs to be paid for equally. It cannot be. I'll give you an example of, of the people I teach. All right? Every month, we receive okay, resources from three people. Three. One, two, three. The rest is covered by my family and I. Now, I have kept quiet for a long time because thankfully, God has blessed me. Okay? And we've been able to do it for years. But let me tell you something how the kingdom works. Every need in the church from the speakers to the rent of the usher to the school fees of someone, all of it you are supposed to share equally according to what you have. So let me explain. If you have 10,000 bob, according to your level of generosity, you are supposed to share in the pain of your brothers. Let me give it to you how it says in Galatians. Galatians says, Carry one another's burdens. You are carrying none. Carrying none. So your grace can't multiply. You keep praying. In fact, there's a friend of mine who got fired the other day. And they asked me, how did you know I would get fired? <laughs> now you know how I knew. You failed in the act of grace. How do I know? <laughs> I know because and I'll show you in chapter 9 just now 22 pole pole now you guys have been taught give and it will come back to you and now you give for selfish reasons no 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 you give to die let me explain to you <laughs> uh, verse 14 at this present time your surplus over necessities is is going to supply their needs so that at some other time their surplus may be given to supply your need that there may be equality <laughs> i said this before almost three years ago so let me explain what i meant anytime a believer is broke it is because another believer is holding 
hear me now. Because what does it say? It says your surplus now was not for you. Your surplus is for someone else. So that when they have surplus, they're supposed to supply to you now. Paul has just explained to you, give and it will come back to you. He's just explained how it is supposed to be is when you do not you do not have someone else is supposed to supply to you, which is why you cannot be disconnected from the brotherhood. <laughs> oh my goodness. So give and it will come back to you. This is what it meant. That today you have to give, tomorrow it is your turn to receive. Therefore, the Ecclesiastes writer says and says there is a time for every activity under the sun. Do you understand me? So Jesus says this. Jesus said this. Said. Let me hold that. Let me hold it for now. Actually, let me tell you. He said, use unrighteous mammon to win friends. Then, so that they will invite you into their everlasting habitations. What do you use your money for other than budgeting? Do you use your money to win friends? <laughs> Let me explain. Anytime you have, it's because someone else doesn't. When you learn to distribute, when you learn to distribute, you have abundance. And I'll show you how. I'll show you how. Because grace, I told you, is like currency. Now, the difference between grace and the currency we have is that currency usually follows greed. Grace follows need. So, where there is need, grace is supplied in abundance. That's what God said. For my grace is made perfect in your weakness. So grace follows need. So hear me correctly. Grace follows need. And then usually money follows greed. What I mean by money follows greed is very simple. That if you become very greedy and you keep your money to yourself, then you have more money, right? But grace works different. If you supply to need, then you've got more grace. Let me read it for you. Let us continue. <laughs> Verse 15. As it is written in Scripture, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not lack. Why? Because they shared. <laughs> you understand? 
Now, let me tell you something. Let me quote a gospel song for you. Started from the bottom. Now we, underline, we are here. Started from the bottom. Now the whole team is here. If your success is not about the team, ah, then Drake knows Jesus better than you. Where's your team? Where's your team? Niwewe tu. Niwewe tu na penya. Kuja kutupea testing. He who gathered plenty did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. Because they shared. <laughs> My friend. Oh, let me prophesy to you something. There's a man who harvested. And when he harvested, he looked at his barn. And he said, aha, now I can retire and enjoy my life. And he says, stupid man, God said, your soul will be required of you tonight. <laughs> let me tell you, your soul will not be required, but your barn is about to catch fire. <laughs> Hey, your bet karibicho meke. Man, mina jipritia peke yangu. I need to get to chapter 9. I've got um, 7 minutes. And I've smiled too hard. Ouch. I have, I have surgery over here. Uh, I'll be fine. Ani muna nicheka. Bala kunyurumia. Bonyana nicheka. Let it be known. That my pain is Bonnie's laughter. Ow, stop making me laugh. <laughs> okay, all right? Listen. But thanks be to God who puts the same genuine concern for you in the heart of Titus, for Titus not only accepted our appeal, but was so very interested in you that he has gone to visit you of his own accord. And we have sent along with a brother. Uh, oh, I, I don't know whether I want to read this. Now, I want to read, I want to go to chapter 9. That's my other concern. Um, uh, man. I'm considering I've got a lot of scriptures to read. Eh? I don't know whether I should read the short version or read the whole thing. What say you, my brothers? Eh? What say you guys? I read the short or the long, long version? Eh? Short. Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I want to sh read for you something. Please uh, start earlier. I'll start from verse 9. Let me start from verse 8. Eh? Okay. Now, I want you to read to understand something. I want you to hear how this thing works. And God is able to make all grace, every favor. All grace. Hey, Billy Kipruto, sir. I shall obey, sir. 
Now, it is unnecessary for me to write to you about the offering. I mean, verse 1, because Billy has commanded. It's a man of God. <laughs> now, it is unnecessary for me to write to you about the offering that is to be made for the saints in Jerusalem. For I know your eagerness to promote this cause, and I have proudly boasted to the people of Macedonia about it, telling them that Achaia has been prepared since last year for this contribution, and your enthusiasm has inspired the majority of them to respond. Still, I am sending the brothers to you so that our pride in you may not be empty boast, all right? In this case, so that you may be prepared, just as I told them you would be. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me, and if you are unprepared, we too say nothing uh, of ourselves. We'll be humiliated for being so confident. That, that is why I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to go to you and to make arrangements in advance for this generosity. Now, what does what is Paul saying? That generosity is not something that should shock you. You know, in the church, we have this thing of also and so has died. Now we want to changa generosity. You should be prepared for generosity all the time. That's a principle, right? Now, verse six. Now, remember this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows generously, that uh, that blessings may come to others, will also reap generously. Remember, he sows generously that blessings may come to others, not to himself. Let each one of you give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he had decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compassion. For God loves a cheerful giver, a ready to give, someone who is prepared to give. And Mugzo, that answers your question. So cheerful there means someone who is ready, prepared to give. In other words, you've done the calculation in your head. And you've woken up and you've decided you are a giver. It is not deciding that you will give. It is deciding that you are a giver. That is the person known as a cheerful giver. It basically means someone who is ready to give. Right? And, and that answers Mugzo. That's why I read the verses before. Now verse 8. This is very important. And God is make, able to make all grace, all grace. <laughs> Remember before, we were multiplying. Now, if you want all grace, all grace, <laughs> every favor and earthly blessing, every favor and earthly blessing, come in abundance to you. Now, hear me correctly. So that you may always, and all, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him, and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. Oh, oh, God is able to make all grace available. To who and why? <laughs> all grace <laughs> is available to who and why? <laughs> Verse 9. Verse 9, as it is written, and forever remains written, he, the benevolent, the generous person, scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Oh, 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 pause, 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 pause. <laughs> Laughing, my notes laugh. There are two righteousness in the Bible. Righteousness number one is the righteousness that comes from being 
perfect in keeping the law, which you and I can't do. So instead, God gave us Christ's righteousness. So you are the righteousness of God. That's righteousness number one. But there's righteousness number two, which is the righteousness of the generous person. It is his. It's not God's. It is his. It did not say the generous person is saved. He is righteous by generosity. The Bible says, says it endures forever. It will be forever written. Listen. He, the generous person, scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I don't know whether I need to read anything else. You know, people consistently read this scripture, they misunderstand it. Jesus says he will come back with his angels and he will say, enter into rest. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you gave me food. And then the people said, when did we do this? Then Jesus said, whatever you did to one of these brothers of mine, you did to me. Telling you that these generous people are not the brothers. They are separate people. In other words, the generous man receives salvation. The book of Acts has such, such a story. There's a guy called Cornelius. The Bible records that he was generous. And Peter had to be disturbed to take to him the gospel. I don't know whether you guys understand this thing. I don't know whether you understand it. First, all grace. God is able to make it abound to you. All grace. If you meet one condition, what is that condition? That you're generous. And that grace will abound so that you abound unto every good work. Unto every good work. So that you are self-sufficient. In other words, look at this. And, and you need to... Let me show you a mystery. One of the things you guys miss about Solomon's temple is an interesting story. As Solomon built the house of God, his house was also being built. As you build God's people, God builds you to self-sufficiency. And your righteousness is unquestionable. <laughs> you as you own it. Yanuna ichukwanga home. 
Righteousness kwa bosho. Shua. Generosity. Now, let me address responsibility. Now, I know preachers have taught you about tithe and giving to them. Now I want to make it worse. I want to make it worse because I want to discipline some of you. Because this is the end. I have carried you enough. It's time for you to grow up. And um, Oliver has, this is a part I want you to cut and put in our WhatsApp group so that the people there might learn. Because you guys are thieves. Stop thievery. This is the last part about the brotherhood. I talked about the responsibility of the father to children. And his job is to father the children. In other words, to take them to the next step. I want to talk about the responsibility of the children to the father. And to read Galatians 6, verse 6. The one who is taught the word of God is to share in all good things with his teacher. Kimani Listen, I'm not talking about tithe. I'm not talking about offering. And I'm not talking about myself unless you are in master class. But he who is taught the word of God is to share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his spiritual and material support. Do I need to say any more? The people who teach me, okay? Athlete, my parents, my, my, uh, I remember one time I was with, was with my wife and we met my primary school teacher. Man, I paid a nigger. Oh, I paid a nigger. <laughs> Do you remember? I paid him because he who teaches deserves to share in all good things. It's a debt. Stop robbing your teachers. Stop robbing your teachers. Stop robbing your brothers. The good thing but only having three people contributing to my ministries. I can tell you the truth. It's the best part. Tadu. <laughs> huh? Well, let me tell you, stop robbing your brothers. What you have, you're supposed... Listen, if you find yourself with something, first question you must ask yourself, who is this for? And guess what? The more you give, the more you have. Take it from me. 
That's how I live. Anyway, I'm seven minutes past time. This time we started right on time. I, in fact, internet may crash. <laughs> Am I still there? So we started right on time. So um, I'll see you guys next week. I hope you've received my rebuke with love. And wait, let me explain. Why am I rebuking you? Because some of you have put your trust in your bands, your job, your whatever it is. And let me tell you, it's about to burn. It's about to burn because God is looking for people who will be people who are grace actors. People who understand that when they're given grace, just like they were given bread, their job is to and to give, and someone else who receives it, and to give. When you are done collecting, you will have 12 bucket baskets left over. How many baskets were left? Was it two? 12 baskets, yes. Hey, but two, when you store. Now, here's the irony. You know, how it worked. Let me. <laughs> can I show you guys a mystery? Show you a mystery. If Jesus took the bread and broke it, how much was left in his hand? None. Because he gave it to his disciples, correct? Now, if his disciples took it and broke it and gave it, how much was left in their hands? But when they gave, they collected 12 baskets for who? 12 disciples. That's a mystery. Grace is multiplied when it is given to others, not when it is hoarded by you. When you take what God has given you and you give out, what was a tiny crumb of bread came back 12 baskets. Now that answers your question as to why Jesus asked them to collect. <laughs> asked them to collect after the people had eaten. Ah. Should I show you a mystery? The abundance of the grace giver comes from the abundance of the grace. Ah. You see, it is the grace of the littlest person who ate. It is his grace left over that when it is given to the disciple, that gave out everything that the disciple has abundance. So how is it supposed to work, dear preacher? You're supposed to take out of your storehouse knowledge, wisdom, advice, care, rebuke. For some of you think rebuke is not part of your job. You are supposed to rebuke people. When you take and you give it to them, and it either gives them a job, gives them a marriage, gives them a breakthrough, what they're supposed to do is supposed to take those many crumbs 
and give back to the original gracer. Now, let me tell you something. Let me address something. Many preachers are sad and depressed because you guys, when they gave you, and you guys don't understand how it works, when Jesus is touched, he says, virtue came out of me. You don't understand that a true shepherd has fought a wolf for you. Now you, when you are enjoying the wolfless life, you forget to replenish him. So he lacks. This is why the preacher is not exempt from giving. He must give. He must first receive the bread from Jesus. And he is the first to break it. And everyone else who receives it then has the responsibility to break it. Then when it is broken, we have full circle. That's why it says give and it will come back to you. And it specifically says, shall men give to your bosom? It, is not, it does not come from God. Because God has released his grace. So when you receive grace, your job is to give it out. So the person who receives grace is required to also give it back. Hello? The problem with the cycle of generosity is broken. So you have churches where everyone gives to the preacher. And the preacher does not give. That's a broken cycle. Okay? So it needs to be a complete cycle. So if you find your preacher always giving... And you're not giving problem. If you find you're always giving and the preacher is not giving problem because it's a cycle just like currency. When we say the economy is in trouble when money is not in circulation, equally the kingdom is in trouble when grace is not in circulation. We must circulate grace. Hmm. So what's the rebuke? If you're not giving to your teacher, if you're not giving to your brother, you are stealing because you owe them. Because what God gives you is not yours. Interestingly, the kingdom is weird like that. But yet, the more you build God's temple, which means the more you build God's people, the more God builds you. So the more the disciples were distributing, the more their buckets were full. Hey, it's your choice. Go back to the world. Live selfishly or come into the kingdom and finally achieve the abounding unto every good work. Be your brother's keeper. Be the one who meets the wolf on behalf of your brother. Share in all good things with your teacher. All good things. Sindio, rebuke received with love. That should fix your church, should fix a lot of things. What a masterclass of Meskiza.